This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. How's everybody this morning? I tell you what, the time change weekend always feel like super awesome that weekend. I don't know what it is. You get like another hour of sleep. You're energized. I'm ready to go. I'm going to give you a little something y'all can do the next time you're out on a date, and it's just going horrible, okay? Y'all ever, that ever happened to you? I know some of y'all married folks don't want to admit it, but it happens, okay? And I'm going to give you something that's fun to do when you can kind of, you know, have a little conversation when things ain't going real good. You don't know what to talk about. You already talked about your kids, already talked about the money problems you got, and you need something that's going to be fun for about five minutes. This is what you want to do, all right? You want to look around the room, and you want to pick out couples, that are sitting around. And this is what you want to do. You want to try to come up with the stories of what's going on. So my first one, my normally, my opener to get my wife joking and kind of laughing a little bit is that I think he's saying, gosh, she's got some bad breath. <laughs> and she's saying, he loves me so much. Have a little fun with that next time, y'all. Now, the, the, thing, the truth is there, and it's really there. The truth is there is that most of most of the time when we look at an event, when we look at somebody, even today as I sit out and look at you, there's several stories that are going on. I mean, I might get to see one of those, but it's very difficult to get drawn into both of them because often there's not just one story, but there's two stories. And I want to take a moment and show you a video clip because in this clip, the people that experience this moment will have very different stories about what happened this moment and this morning when the Washington Post decided to play an experiment in a subway station in Washington, D.C. Let's take a look at what happened. Now, for most of the commuters that morning, the story that they would tell is there was a guy who was playing a violin when I walked by. But for one person in that crowded subway, she recognized who the person was playing violin. His name is Joshua Bell, widely regarded as one of the best violinists in the world. He was playing a sonata that was written by Mozart, which is regarded by a lot of historians to be one of the most difficult pieces to play solo on the violin. And the violin he was playing was worth three and a half million dollars. The night before he had performed at a concert hall in D.C., the seats went for a minimum of $100 a seat. You see, for one person, they recognized him. It's so beautiful when you watch it back and you see that one person just stop. Like, I get what's going on here. I get it. I see it. And at the end, you can hear her say, I saw you at the Library of Congress. I, I've seen you before. I know who you are. And as we dive into, for the next two weeks, again, into Luke 15, I want to let you know that there's two stories that are happening can you pull my mic down just a little bit? It's a little hot. 
There's two stories that are happening in the lives of each of the sons of this father that we looked at last week. Just to remind you where we are, Luke 15 is a series of three stories that Jesus tells about things that were lost. The first thing is a lost sheep. A shepherd loses his sheep. He leaves the 99 sheep to go find the one sheep. He brings it back and rejoices. A woman who has a coin that is very valuable loses it. She tears her whole house apart to find the coin that she's lost. And at the end, she celebrates and invites some friends over because she has found the coin. And then Jesus takes this theme of lostness and dives into a family, a father with two sons. And as he tells the story, the youngest of the two sons goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance. Give it to me now. And in his day, that was a remarkably insulting statement to have said to a father because it meant that I would rather you be dead to me right now. You're, you are not worth anything to me being alive. I would rather you be dead. Go ahead and give me my inheritance. And it was not a simple request because unlike most of us, inheritance wasn't kept in a bank account. It was in land and livestock and in holdings like that. And so to give him an inheritance meant that the father had to go through a period of time of selling off land and livestock. And so he does that to honor the son's request. And in the familiar story, the son leaves home, goes to a distant land and blows the fortune that his father just gave him. Scriptures tell us that it was in wild living that it would have been prostitution, and drugs, to put it in our day. And one day he wakes up broke and hungry. As Jesus tells this story in the middle of a pig sty as a servant to a farmer, his job was to feed pigs. Jesus is telling this story to a bunch of Hebrews, just so you know, this is about as bad as it could ever get. He's fallen as far as he could ever fall. He is so hungry, he wants to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs. And he wakes up and realizes that the servants who live with my father have a better life than I do. I'm going to go home and plead with my father that he would receive me, not again as a son, but as a servant. Scripture says that he gets up and he goes home and his father sees him from a long way off, runs out to him, grabs him, wraps his arms around him, kisses him, tells his servants, go get a ring, put it on his finger, bring a rope, put it around his neck, kill the fatted calf. It is time to have a party. My son that was dead is alive. My son that was lost is now found. And his older brother who had stayed behind, who had been very faithful, was most likely out in the fields. And as he returns home, there's a party that has ensued. And he refuses to go into the party and the father actually leaves the party to go out to the son. And he's a little upset because this son has insulted his father. He's insulted his family. He's left home. He's blown family money. He's come home and the father tells him that we had to do this. We had to celebrate. We had no choice but to do this. 
My son, your brother that was lost is now found. He was dead and is alive again. Over the next two weeks, as we look at the two sons, this week zeroing in on the younger son, next week on the older son, what Jesus does to us in this story is he redefines what it means to be lost. He's redefining for us what it means to be lost. Now there, like I said earlier, are two stories that are at work right now. You see, the son is telling a story about himself and the father is telling a different story about him. The son wakes up in the middle of a broken mess. And what he says of himself is that the best that I could be is to be a servant. I don't deserve anything else. The best that I could hope to be is a servant to my father. I know that my father has the answers, but that's the best thing. That's what I can hope for right now. But the father looks at him with all of his failure, all of his insult, and says, that's not the right story. You're not a servant, you're my son. And the truth is, is that for us, we have to choose which story to live. The one that we're telling about ourselves or the one that the Father is telling about you. We have to choose between our story and his story. That brings me to an important question. Just a moment. I'm not, I'm not going to spend much time here, but what story are you telling about yourself today? What story are you telling about yourself? Right now, when when you look at yourself, are you defining who you are more by your failures? Or are you defining who you are by who the Father is in you? Because that's the tension that we see with the younger son and the older and this father. The younger son has defined himself by his failure. But the father has defined who he is by his relationship with him. So what story are you telling about yourself? The truth is, is that we all tell some stories, don't we? Think about it. Y'all, most, of, most of us have been around some kids when they've told some stories. Y'all ever have your kids, you know what's happened? You're asking them about what it is, and they start telling you a story. Now, we were talking about this in staff meeting this week, and I'm just going to tell on him. Robert was talking about, Robert Ellers, our family pastor, Robert said one time that he, uh, he took a can of spray paint and decided that he wanted to go all graffiti in the garage, right? So he took a can of black spray paint and took one whole wall and started spray painting his name and stuff all over it. His parents got home and said, who did that? 
Now, it's got his name on there, all right? It's got his name. Robert said, Robert said, I told him, I made up, I told him that a friend came over and that he did it. It was a friend from church, and they already had like a suspicious attitude towards this friend. And they go, well, Robert, why did he paint your name? He goes, because he wanted me to get in trouble. <laughs> but that's what happens when we start telling stories about ourselves. Most of the times, the stories that we're telling about ourselves are stories. And we have to, in the moments of failure and brokenness, learn how to navigate moving from my story to his story. And I think that in this passage of Scripture, there are some important things to notice that God has given us about what it takes in the midst of failure to embrace God's story, not our story. And so let's look again back at the text because the story that this man is telling about himself is all wrong. And most of the time when we're telling our own story, it's all wrong. Here's some things that I notice about this. He's telling a story about his failure. The central theme in his story as he's telling it is about his failure. I'm not good enough. I am not good enough to be a son. Perhaps I can be a servant. The second thing that I notice is that he's telling a story that's about his worth. I'm not worthy to be a son. The only thing I'm worthy of being is a servant. And see, in the middle of that, he's telling a story about himself. And when we start telling stories, living stories that are all about me, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you something. You just need to embrace this. Let it sink into your heart. When we live a story that is wrapped up with ourselves, it will lead you nowhere but brokenness. Because in this short story, Jesus shows us a young man who moves from being defined by his failure to being embraced by the Father. So let's look at five things that I see that he did that we've got to do if we're going to embrace the story that God wants to write in our lives when we've blown it. The first thing that we need to do is to get up. To get up. Verse 20 in Luke 15 says this, he got up and went to the Father. Sometimes when we've blown it, we have a tendency to stay right there. But let me tell you something, if you've blown it, get your butt up and go. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. Don't stay. Listen, if it's friends that left you, if it's friends that led you, leave those friends. If it's a situation in your life that propelled you to whatever it is, get up and leave it. Because in the middle of his brokenness, the younger son realizes that something isn't right. The father has an answer and he gets his butt up and goes back to the father. And the first thing we got to do is get up. 
Now, for some of y'all, that's scary. It's scary because there's a part of us that wonders, is it going to be any better? It certainly doesn't feel like it's going to be fun. But as we looked last week into the heart of the Father, as Jesus reveals him in this story, let me tell you something that we can trust the Father. And we can always rely and rest in his love. So the first thing we got to do is we got to get up. The second thing that we have to do is we have to repent. In verse 21, and actually he kind of rehearses this speech. And when the father hugs him, he gives him the speech. But he says, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Now, can I give you some advice and just some help when it comes to repenting? This is important. Everybody just needs to take this and own this. Repenting is not apologizing. It's not the same thing. When someone says, I'm sorry to me, it means to me, you know what? I might do this again, but I didn't want to or intend to, and I feel bad about what happened. Repenting is entirely different. Because repenting says, you know what? I did that. Here is my intention to never do that again. There's direction involved. It's getting up and moving. And some of us, we've got trapped in a pattern of apologizing, but you might not need to apologize anymore if you just repent. The second thing that we see in this passage about repentance is that sin always has a double dynamic to it. He says, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. You know what? When we sin, we always hurt somebody. There's no quiet, alone type sin when we're in relationships with people. And we sin, we hurt them. Husbands, when you sin in your family, it hurts your wife. Wives, when you sin, it hurts your husband. Parents, when you sin, it hurts your kids. And we see a dynamic at work in this moment that repentance isn't just to Jesus. Well, I get the fact that sin hurts my relationship with Jesus, but sin also affects my other relationships. And you know what? There needs to be a repentance that happens in those two places. So at home, husbands, when we blow it and we're going to blow it, we're going to blow it. It's just going to be a natural part of the way that life works out. We're going to blow it. But when we blow it, let's lead the way in repentance. Let's be the first to say, I'm sorry, this is what I did, and I'm going to purpose in my heart to never do that again. And here's the steps I'm going to take so I don't make that mistake again. And let's model repenting to Jesus where we can say, Father, I've sinned against you. So he gets up, he repents, and the third thing is, 
he focuses on the Father. In verse 18, he says in the middle of a pig trough and the ugly nastiness that he's living in, he says, I'm going to go back to my father. And sometimes the solution to the problems that we have is simply a solution of perspective. Because we don't see it the way it needs to be seen. There's some of us in this room today that we think we got a problem, and you might have a problem, but we think we got a problem. And if we would just take a moment and say, God, change my perspective. Let me see it the way you see it. We might come out thinking some things that we hate are blessings. Because can I tell you something? Wives, you don't learn how costly grace is until you submit to somebody who does something wrong. You don't learn how difficult it is to walk through forgiveness. And in that, in that moment, there's a blessing because I see how deep God's affection and love is for me. Because I've been the person that blew it with him. All of you got, I just call them bless your heart friends. Gabe's here. Gabe's going to laugh when I say this. But you know, you know, bless your heart friends right there. They're friends that you just say their name and then you say bless their heart. Because you can say whatever you want to about somebody after you say bless their heart. So I can say, Gabe, bless his heart. Boy tries. Boy tries. You know what I'm saying? Some of you got some bless their heart friends and they're trying you and they're pushing you. And you know what? If you would stop and say, God, I just, I'm tired of disliking this person. Could you just give me your perspective? Somehow in the middle of that, God can change that and take that person and use it to create some perseverance in us to teach us what it really means to love when it's difficult. You see, our situation doesn't have to change, but our perspective does. And we got to get our eyes off the mess and our eyes on the Father if we're ever going to embrace his story in our lives. You see, that's what happens with the younger son. He focuses on the father. And the fourth thing is that we have to embrace the father. Think about the moment for the son's perspective for a moment. I mean, he's traveled a long way and he's done so without any money. That means it was rough. Let me just put it that way. And he's walking up that driveway. And he can see from a distance his father running to him. Think about that moment when his father runs up to him and grabs him and puts his arms around him. You think he was expecting that? I bet he was. 
But that embrace is pivotal in this story. You see, in the middle of blowing it, most of us run from affection. And we run from intimacy. And the problem is, is that's typically what got us into the moment in the first place. You see, it was the distance between the son and the father that led to him being the person who would say, give me my inheritance. It was the lack of intimacy that led to that. And here's this moment when this son, who has been everything but the right son, is embraced by the father. And that intimacy that wasn't there is renewed. See, when we've blown it, maybe the most important thing that we could do is embrace Jesus. Because his love for you, let me just free you up a little bit. Some of us have come out of some pretty legal places. His love for you isn't based on what you do. It's not. It's not based on you going out of here and getting it all right. His love for you is based on the fact that he chose to love you. And that's it. He made a choice. He's going to love you anyway. That means you can blow it, take 8,000 steps, but somehow through a miraculous, I mean, pursuing love, I take 8,000 steps, but I turn around and take one and I make that movement. Somehow God is right there. He loves you like that. But it is tough when we've blown it to embrace his love. It's tough. But that's what needs to happen. And in this moment, through the Father, we see that that embrace is pivotal because it restores the intimacy that most likely the lack of intimacy led to our problem in the first place. And I was looking in this this passage and really just kind of examining the scriptures. And I had really stopped there, but there's one thing that jumped out to me and and I'm going to try not to cry a whole lot when I talk about this because there's something that's very different in this passage of scripture when God talks about what it means to step out of our story and into his story that happens at the end as Jesus is telling this story. And as I was studying, I realized that I just began to weep because this is the kind of God that we serve. The last thing that we have to do to embrace his story in our lives is celebrate. Can I just tell you that this moment is one of the most unlikely moments for a celebration ever? How many of y'all time, y'all ever had someone show up at Thanksgiving that was one of those relatives that everyone talked about when they weren't there and it was awkward? Y'all ever had that? You're probably not going to say yes because then you're going to offend somebody. That's okay. But it happens, right? And what happens? It's a little bit more awkward because that person's there. This is that moment. 
This is the son that's totally blown off. Everybody took his money, went against the grain of the context of his family. And he shows back up. And the father says this in verse 32. Listen, he says that we had to celebrate and be glad. Not, it was right. It was fitting. It just seemed like a good idea. He doesn't say that. He says, we had to celebrate. There was no other choice. There was no other option. We had to celebrate. And as I began to pray, I said, God, why in the world? This is beautiful, but I don't get it. You see, the thing is, is that when we celebrate something, that which was private becomes public. That which was private becomes public. And most of us stop at number four, just embracing the father if we get that far. But when it becomes public, what happens is our testimony becomes public for other people to see the power of God that has worked in your life. And just to be honest with you, we live in a culture, especially a Christian culture, that has grown to be quite opposite of that. Because when someone blows it, what we want to do is say, well, let's take about two or three years and do some rehab, and then we'll do a video that shares your whole story. I mean, this is a moment. I mean, this is a profound moment where this young man has embraced his father's story. And the father says of this moment, we have to celebrate. We got a party right now because this son that was dead is alive. The one, my son, your brother to the oldest son, your brother that was lost is found. And sometimes we get lost when we blow it. Sometimes we do. Can I just solve a mystery for you? You're going to blow it. It's going to happen. There's going to be something that you're going to do eventually. It might not be in the next five minutes, but I'm going to bet you by the end of the day, most of us are going to do something and blow it. And when that happens, there's a choice that sits right in front of you. And the choice is, will you live out your story or will you live out his story? Will you live the story that you're telling about yourself or will you embrace the story that the father is telling about you? So, in conclusion, I would just like to look at one important question. Because all around this room, there's some of us that we have things that in the lineage of our lives, we look back and they're hurtful and they're broken. We look back and we see some decisions perhaps that we've made or things that have went on that affected us and this is a, a pivotal question that we see Jesus 
pulling out in this story, it's this question. Is the story that you're telling more about your failure or the father? Is the story that you're telling in your life more about your failure or about the father? You see, the reason that we celebrate isn't because I've got it right. The reason that we celebrate is because the father has been good to me. It's not a story about me anymore. It's a story all about his grace, his intentions, his purposes in my life. See, I can celebrate because this story is not about me. And everything you see in this story, as Jesus tells it, this younger son initially wants to tell a story that's all about himself. It's about how he's blown it, how he's not worthy. And some of us, we're telling stories about that. I've blown it. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. But the story that he's telling about us is that I have a relationship that I want with you. You're not just a servant, you're a son. You're not just a servant, you're a daughter. You're not defined in my eyes by your failure. You now have to embrace that and live that out. Let's pray. God, today as we pause in this room, God, for many of us, just talking about the past and failure is a little different possibly a little difficult. For some of us today, God, there's some hurt there. and There's some hurt that we would rather not even pull out right now. But God, I just want to ask you through your goodness that you would just go ahead and pull it out right now so that we can deal with it. God, would you today... Remind us that even in the midst of blowing it, our stories no longer have to be defined by that, that our stories can be more defined by the Father than our failure. And that today, God, we can stop trying to tell a story about ourselves and embrace the story that you're trying to tell through us. So, Today, God, do it. Remind us of it. Nobody looking around. I just want to ask you a real quick question. And it's not for me. It's really not for anybody else in the room. It's really a question for you. If you're not honest about it, then you're the only one that gets shortchanged. But today, would you say, my story up until now has been more defined by my failure than the Father. But today I want to make a change. I want it to be completely defined by the Father. If that's you and you're here today, would you raise your hand? I see those hands. That's awesome. So let me pray for you. Father God, today, for those of us that are in this room,
Those of us who have been living stories that have been defined more by our failures than by you as our father. For those of us that have been living our own story, but not embracing your story that you want to write through us, God, for us today, through your grace and mercy, please come and free us to live your story. For your glory and for your honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. How about a, a hand of applause?